The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode 52 of Some Assembly Required, your weekly adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This week, we are taking a look at Avengers number 48, The Black Knight Lives Again. This week's issue is written by Roy Thomas, art by George Tuska, letters by Art Simic, and it comes to us in January of 1968. For those of you who are closely paying attention, you will notice that I did not mention John Basima's name, as in the opening panel of the book, we get a special note mentioning that George Tuska is doing all of the art for this issue, taking over for John Basima for this issue. Backtracking a little bit to our cover, I really, really like this cover in spite of the fact that it has the white background, which I am well known to not be a fan of, but I really like the Black Knight and I really like to see him front and center. So to me, that kind of makes up for it. And to be fair, the rest of the Avengers on the cover are pretty well done, if somewhat ancillary. Getting into our issue, we find the Maximovs once again in Garrett Castle, imprisoned at the whim of Magneto, and as the issue opens, Magneto is threatening the lives of the Maximovs, while Toad bounces around nearby, encouraging Magneto to kill the pair. In general, I frequently feel bad for Toad because he is so very loyal to Magneto and gets abused and treated like dirt for it. This isn't really one of those times though because he straight up is encouraging Magneto to murder the Maximovs, murder two Avengers. It's hard to be, it's hard to feel sympathy for someone who is encouraging murder. However, since the Maximovs refuse to join Magneto, Magneto feels the need to prove his powers, especially to Quicksilver, who's really the one mouthing off here, and instead of doing a impressive feat with his powers of magnetism, he throws some armor around, and then he punches through a table. Effectively, what Magneto is doing here is demonstrating his commitment and how strong he is by throwing a temper tantrum that a toddler might, albeit with greater strength and more noticeable destruction. It doesn't really sell me on the idea that he is going to take over the world and make it a safe place for mutants. So after his little fit, Magneto decides to leave the siblings to discuss what's going on amongst themselves, in part because Pietro actually says perhaps we should reconsider. Instead, what Pietro is doing is he is attempting to free his hand, which he successfully does. Pietro noticed that one of his restraints is loose. He reaches into his belt and pulls out a small transmitter that he had hidden on him in order to contact the rest of the Avengers and try and bring them to rescue them. I really appreciate the fact that the Avengers have this level of foresight to use trackers and transmitters and hide stuff in their uniforms, especially after some of the things they've gone through that really shows a pretty substantial amount of preparation. I do kind of wish there was a little bit of uniformity. They really are pulling out all kinds of just random devices so that we, the reader, have no expectation. Right? We don't know that, you know, the following items are standard Avengers-issued equipment, so it's hard to say, well, hey, you should use this or that, and I don't know, it, it kind of makes me disengage my brain 
brain a little bit, and that just kind of bugs me. Now, while Quicksilver is transmitting his message to the Avenger, he is unfortunately noticed by Toad, who makes his way back to Magneto. And we'll come back to that in just a minute here. But sticking with the Avengers and Quicksilver's transmission, back at Avengers Mansion, we find that Jarvis is getting ready to leave for the day when he hears this emergency signal. But unfortunately, Jarvis has this thought that because Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are on duty, they'll take care of it, not considering the fact that it might in fact be Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. Jarvis has got a particular screw it, I'm off the clock kind of mentality here, and it kind of amuses me. Also, Quicksilver should realize that this might be a potential problem, given the fact that he's aware that he's the one who should be on duty. So while Jarvis is getting ready to leave, we see Hawkeye, who we last saw in our last issue, leaving after getting in a fight with Natasha. And as we have seen Hawkeye do before, he has gone out on a walk on a patrol, if you will, to blow off a little bit of steam. And I like it because we get a lot of inner dialogue for Hawkeye, and he really is thinking a lot of the same things that the whole team is thinking. So in this particular moment, I think we really get a good sense of what's going through the mind of the entire team after Captain America has left and things seem to be kind of falling apart. Now, just before we cut to Ant-Man and Wasp, who are dealing with Captain America's departure by a trip to Vegas, we cut briefly back to Jarvis, who has made his way from somewhere else in Avengers Mansion to just by the door, and he realizes that the alert is still going off, that this message is still incoming and has not been answered. So Jarvis finally kind of does his job and picks up the phone, because, you know, let's face it, Jarvis is still the butler the, the phone thing is kind of his gig and he realizes that it is quicksilver and says that he will alert the other avengers as to their predicament so again as i mentioned wasp and goliath are off in las vegas and this is how they're dealing with cap's departure and we see wasp at a roulette wheel where a gentleman named mr del savino has been on a particularly hot winning streak this perturbs Wasp enough that she and Goliath look into things a little bit more and realize that Mr. DiSalvino has a magnetic device in his pocket, which is throwing off the ball. Wasp and Goliath can't abide by this, so they take it upon themselves to expose the cheater for what he is. Now, I'm a little disappointed with this side plot. I had hoped that we were going to get some kind of James Bond-style side story. The situation that's presented is really the perfect setup for that kind of story. They're at a high-end casino. They're all dressed to the nines. They find this gentleman cheating. To me, it seems a wasted opportunity that they don't go anywhere with it. And I would have really liked to have seen some kind of subplot along those lines. I think it would have been a lot of fun. Now, as Wasp and Goliath leave to respond to this Avengers alert, Wasp shrinks down to her Wasp size and realizes that while she treated her other clothing with Pym Particles, she didn't treat her mink stole. So as she shrinks down, she is now surrounded by this fur. And the banter back and forth between Wasp and Goliath here is really good, especially the part where Wasp wonders aloud if Sue Storm has problems like this. And Goliath straight up says, mm, probably not. This is probably something that just you're dealing with. It's a little sarcastic. It's a little playful. And I like it. 
I enjoy that kind of banter. It makes for an interesting read. Plus, again, these are two characters who are in love, who are in a relationship. That kind of back and forth is common and it helps reinforce that relationship and really kind of the character's humanity to an extent. And I don't mean that in a, in a big, broad sense. I mean, it makes them come across like people, which is what Marvel and the Silver Age especially is, is known for. So while the rest of the Avengers are responding to this alert, we will cut to Olympus and to Hercules, where Hercules is attempting to figure out what has happened to all the gods of Olympus. The only thing he is able to find out is that the Temple of the Promethean Flame has been laid waste. This is important because the fire within the temple has to keep burning for the gods to stay alive. So because the fire is out and this temple has been devastated, Hercules knows that something is really wrong. And as a result, Hercules swears to figure it out and to either defeat whoever did this or be destroyed by them. Hercules is really willing to bet everything on this because of how important it is to him. Again, I'm not a huge fan of beardless Hercules. Like I said, it worked better in modern for the time period, civilian clothing. It doesn't work as great in costume, but I do love me some Hercules. Back at Avengers Mansion, our three remaining Avengers return to listen to the conversation that Jarvis and Quicksilver had, but unfortunately Quicksilver doesn't mention where they went. So all they know is that the pair have encountered Magneto and that they have been taken prisoner. Speaking of prisoners in Garrett Castle, we find Dane Whitman, who, knowing the castle as well as he does, has been wandering through the various secret passages within the castle and eventually finds his way into the lab that contains his new Black Knight suit. Now, before we actually see him don his new Black Knight, costume, we get another series of flashbacks, which I alluded to last issue, where we get an expansion of what happened to the previous Black Knight. We saw his fight with Iron Man and the presumption that the Black Knight died at the end of that fight. However, here we find that the Black Knight survived, although mortally wounded. And this is where Nathan Garrett has his deathbed confessional to his nephew Dane Whitman and tells him in a somewhat cliched manner, but very recognizably, be a better man than I was. Take my science, do good things with it. And so Dane Whitman has dedicated himself to taking his uncle's name, taking his science, and using it for the benefit of humanity, which is what got him into this situation in the first place, because he was using his uncle's science, and that inadvertently teleported Magneto back to Earth. So the road to hell is paved with good intentions, I guess? I mean, Dane Whitman had very good intentions of benefiting humanity, but you also just teleported Magneto, albeit inadvertently, but you still did it. So right now you're kind of in the lost column fairly substantially. It's going to take a lot of work for you to get back into that, that win column. After the flashback, we get the first appearance of our second Black Knight, and more specifically, first appearance in costume. And you'll notice that his costume is very different than his uncle's, and is very much styled on a, a Prince Valiant type, where the original Black Knight was very much kind of the evil-looking knight, right? It had the very square helmet, couldn't see the face, all black. In this case, the Black Knight has a helmet that covers his 
face up to his eyes and, it, and his head, but leaves his mouth and his jaw open, his neck open. Although he's wearing black, he also has a yellow cape instead of a black cape. He has red and yellow trim. In general, it's a much less threatening style of armor. And again, it's modeled on Prince Valiant. The old Black Knight, on the other hand, although it wasn't modeled on it, looks a lot like the Black Knight from Monty Python and the Holy Grail, for mental references. Now, while Dane Whitman is sneaking around the secret passages of his castle, Magneto is abusing his prisoners. Toad got the message back to Magneto that Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch had contacted the Avengers, so Magneto is beating Quicksilver. Once again, Toad is encouraging Magneto to just go ahead and kill the, the siblings and be done with it, at which point, once again, Magneto abuses the ever-loving crud out of Toad. And again, we get another great description of Toad as a grotesque, groveling gargoyle. The alliteration here is glorious, as is the use of adjectives. But because Magneto knows that the pair have contacted the Avengers, the four evacuate Garrett Castle. Unfortunately, this is happening just as the Avengers are getting ready to to leave and try and figure out where the siblings have gone to. Now, just as they do, Nathan Garrett arrives on scene as the Black Knight. Here's the problem. The Avengers have fought the Black Knight before. Although he is now on a white Pegasus, as opposed to a black Pegasus, which the original Black Knight had, and his costume is noticeably changed in a more positive-looking manner, they don't know this guy from Adam. They have no way of knowing that there has been a change in both the individual and their demeanor and their end goal, their D&D alignment, if you will. So they do what seems reasonable to them, and they attack before. Black Knight can attack them. At this point, the entire situation turns into a comedy of errors that just spirals drastically out of control. In general, what happens here is that the Avengers go to engage the Black Knight. Initially, the Black Knight doesn't want to fight. However, he has misfires with his uncle's lance, which he really hasn't used before. And so each of these misfires, and there are several, just further escalates the situation further. First, he blasts a wall above the Avengers, causing debris to fall onto them. Then, when Goliath and Wasp strike back with insects, which, as a side note, I didn't realize Wasp had the power to control wasps. I don't know if that is a new development or something that's only now being seen in the Avengers, but it's something different. But as the pair attack with insects, Nathan Garrett misfires with heavy smoke, which has a particularly negative effect on the insects and on Goliath and Wasp. Wasp, again escalating the situation, and then finally, Black Knight attempts to demonstrate the destructive power of his lance in a more controlled manner to show that he is being responsible, and he blasts the cornice off a building. So all of this is just making the situation worse. Now, throughout this, there are some things I really like. One, I do think the comic escalation is enjoyable. It's one of those things you just kind of have to push the I believe button because there's no good reason for all of these things to happen and all of them to go wrong in the way that they do. But they do, so you just kind of roll with it. In particular, I really like the whole sequence where he inadvertently blasts the cornice off the building because we get a great acrobatic save 
and leap from Goliath, catching the cornice, throwing it on top of a building while he's falling, only to be rescued by Black Knight and saving a very Jimmy Olsen-looking young man on the street. But it's, it's a really well-done art sequence, and Mr. Tuska should be lauded for his efforts. After the Black Knight saves Goliath, everyone seems to get their wits back about them, and they realize that, hey, maybe this Black Knight guy is different because he just saved one of the Avengers instead of killing them or letting them die, which turns out to be true. And they finally get to talk a little bit. Black Knight tells them he knows where the Maximovs are. Everyone heads to Garrett Castle. They find Garrett Castle abandoned, and when Black Knight talks about joining the Avengers to help them go find Magneto and the Maximovs, he's basically told off by the Avengers, and effectively he takes his ball and goes home. I say effectively because, well, we know Garrett Castle is his home, so technically he's already home, but that's the general sentiment. Black Knight says, fine, you don't want to play, I don't want to play with you guys either, and I'm leaving. And so that is where we will leave this issue. Now, there are some really cool things happening in this issue. Again, I really like the Black Knight. He's a character that's fun. He's a little bit anachronistic. One of those very, almost kitsch superheroes where they've got a gimmick and they really embrace it. Obviously, the archetype of a, of a character like that is Batman, who just embraces the bat thing. But Black Knight really does jump on board the medieval knight bandwagon, and it's a lot of fun. I really, really, really enjoyed George Tuska's art on this book. I think he did a fantastic job as the inker on last issue, and getting to see him do inks and pencils in this book was just a treat. He has a very, to me, feels like Alex Toth style, like a Space Ghost or Super Friends kind of style, where the detail isn't super, super intense, and the line work is heavy enough to really make them, to make things pop. It's almost like a, a cel-shaded kind of feel especially on that opening panel when Magneto is arguing with the Maximovs. I really dig it. My one complaint in this book, one major complaint I should say, is Wasp's costume. I am a, a big fan of Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men, and one of the things they talk about is how often Kitty Pride changes her costume. At this point in time in the Avengers, Wasp is giving Kitty Pride a run for her money because I think we're on our third or fourth costume in like five issues. She had her, her the one we've seen for a, a while now. She had a new one at Avengers Day. She had a modified version of the old one in the Ant Hill. She has this one, and we're gonna see some more. This one in particular, is kind of crummy. It's very much a stereotypical female superhero costume from the 1940s anywhere up to where we're at now, the 1960s, where it's some kind of bodysuit that's not particularly well-defined in terms of style or any kind of thematic anything, right? I mean, she's standing next to the Black Knight, who is ultra-thematic. Hawkeye and Goliath, although Goliath has been through a number of costumes, both have fairly distinctive looks. And then Wasp is just in a red bodysuit, and it, it doesn't really make her interesting or stand out. And in particular, it only really serves to further sexualize her, especially as the only female character on the team. When Black Widow was in the book, although Black Widow was also somewhat sexualized based on her costume, there was at least a little bit more representation. And in this case, you've got one female character, and you just significantly stripped her down. So, yeah, that's kind of an issue. 
Remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. If you'd like to be a part of the conversation, send your questions and comments to Andrew at AvengersAssembly.com. Next week, we are going to be taking a look at Avengers number 49, Mine is the Power. All right, hey. All right, good job, guys. Uh, Let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. Have you ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it.